0: Gain Sight helping you, SaaS companies and other companies, retain more of your customers, deliver more value. They're now serving over 700 customers. Contract sizes all in the six figures, kind of low to mid six figures. So call it north of 50 million bucks in AR. He says next year, they'll definitely hit or hopefully hit more than hundred million bucks in terms of ARs. They look to continue to scale with their team of 700 people, 10% gross annual churn. Again, that's max spending up to call it 12 to 18 months of lifetime value to get the customer in the first place. Burning call between one and two million bucks a month to do that with $155 million raised. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Nick Mehta. He's the CEO of Gainsight, the customer success company. He's a big believer in the golden rule and tries to apply it as much as he can to bring more compassion to his interactions with others. Under his leadership, Gainsight was named the second fastest growing private software company in 2015 by Inc. Magazine. Nick, you ready to take us to the top? I'm
1: excited, Nathan.
0: All right. So this is a a fun space to be in. Um, Help me understand for folks that have not heard of you guys. What do you guys do? And are you pure play SaaS?
1: Yeah. So Gainsight is a SaaS company and we help businesses be more customer centric. So we think Across almost all industries, whether you're a SaaS company, you're in the cloud, you're moving to a model where customers have more power, and you've got to make sure that you recognize that power and do everything you can to put that customer at the center of the business. We build software that helps companies be more proactive with their customers. People call that customer success software. So they make sure their customers are getting value from what they bought they're liking their experience, and ideally they stay with you and spend more money over time.
0: And then help me understand, I mean, you have a lot of different customer cohorts, I'm sure, we don't have time to go down to all of them, but what would you say the sweet spot is?
1: So we got started in the world of selling to SaaS companies. I mean, folks listening probably run SaaS companies. Our, our sweet spot company is somebody that's moved to a SaaS or cloud model. So building technology, your customers might be paying you per month, per year, per transaction. You want to keep them longer, get them to spend more money. Our customers pay us anywhere from in the sort of, you know, $50,000 a year range all the way up to, you know, millions of dollars a year. So solution kind of scales up and down from kind of companies, 50, 75 employees, all the way up to some of the biggest companies in the world.
0: It's very cool. And put this on a timeline for me. when did you launch? We launched six and a half years ago. Okay. Got it. So about 20, 2012 ish.
1: Yeah, 2013, uh, April, 2013.
0: And yeah. when was that when the first line of code was written?
1: No, we've been working on it probably for about a year and a half before that.
0: Okay. So, so I always like to ask this, how much money did you guys burn before your first dollar revenue building MVP?
1: You know, I'd say probably 3 million bucks in that range. Okay, um, not bad. So, so someone now, listening right
0: now that's out of school launching their company, they go, well, gosh, Nick must not been rich. I, I can't afford to burn 3 million on my MVP. So what did you do? Did you raise on day one? Or are you just really rich?
1: We add venture capital. There you go. partners. Yeah. All right. So, how
0: much have you raised to date?
1: We've now raised about $155 million to date. And why uh, so was the
0: capital needed? I mean, why couldn't you bootstrap this?
1: Yeah. In enterprise SaaS businesses in general, because you sell, you have a longer sales cycle and you have to build a sophisticated product, typically they do take a lot of money because you have to spend a lot of money up front and you get those customers to pay you over time. I think it's even more so when you're creating a new category. We created this category people call customer success, and there's a whole new job associated with it that we've helped to kind of popularize. When we got started, it was a brand new category. So you have to do a lot of stuff to make people aware of the category, in our case, to get people to hire customer success managers, build the product, so... Building a category is definitely expensive, but hopefully it'll pay off.
0: So I've interviewed maybe 60 CEOs that are doing between 50 and 180 million in ARR. And there's a trend I'm seeing where a lot of them are now experimenting with actual quota carrying CSMs based off the CSMs responsibility to drive expansion revenue tied to an activation metric. Are you generally in favor of that move or you think it's going to be detrimental?
1: It's situational, but I'm in favor of considering it. If you have a business that is a very long deployment cycle, long contract, and very high touch, you may not need to do that because a CSM can really just focus on value and making sure customers adopt. But if you have a business that's a little bit higher velocity and you can start from a small amount and just keep expanding, a lot of companies do give their CSM some incentive for expansion. Some people go in in between where they say it's not about like a commission on the expansion, but maybe you give leads to sales and you get kind of an incentive for every lead you give back to sales to do upsell.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, the reason I ask is the most effective companies I've interviewed, they have very strong pricing axes worth. There's a seat-based approach, feature-based upselling, and the most important one, utility-based upselling. This is, you know, this is like Twilio API, you know, calls per month kind of thing. Right. And so CSMs are typically the ones that drive that activation or you call them account managers, whatever.
1: Well, Nathan, it's a great point, because if you have a business model where people pay you as they consume, like a consumption based model like Twilio, which is we're proud to have as a Gainsight customer in those businesses, that customer success motion is the growth motion. Right. That's exactly right. In other businesses where you sell a long term contract, customer success is more about value and all that. So a lot of it depends on the type of pricing model that you have.
0: Yeah. Okay, very good. So you put in three, you get the MVP up on the ground. And then 2012 is first line of code, 2013, first paying customer. Right. Walk me through that story. How'd you get your first 10 customers? Be, be specific.
1: Well, it's funny. I think that's probably quite similar to a lot of folks where it's a lot of just like, friends that are willing to try out your stuff. You get you meet somebody, they meet somebody else. So for us specifically, we were fortunate that one of our first customers was Marketo, which probably many of the listeners know, marketing automation software, now part of Adobe. At the time, it was a few hundred percent company. And actually, the person that ran customer success at Marketo was so enamored with what we were doing that he ended up joining us as one of our first executives. His name's Dan Steinman. He's still with us today. And so we ended up basically hiring somebody from the field that we were selling to, which was a very powerful thing. Can't recommend it enough if you can have somebody in your company that's been in the shoes of your buyer. So Marketo ended up being one of our early, early customers, a number of other companies, Exactly, which is a company that went public, was taken private by Vista. It wasn't one of our first 10, but probably one of our first hundred was Box. It's probably one of our first big customers and kind of marquee names. And every one of those, it's interesting how tightly connected the customer network is, you know, so the Marketo folks know the exactly folks knew the box folks. And once you have success, one place, it helps build on itself. And I think that's one thing. That's why it's so important to get those early customers, right? Cause they all know each other and that network is very tight.
0: So let's go back. So those were your first couple customers. How many are you now serving today?
1: We have about 700 customers now, and okay. it's kind of a who's who in technology. So publicly traded SaaS companies like an Okta or a Workday or a Twilio or DocuSign, big companies that have gone to the cloud like an IBM or an Adobe or a Cisco, as well as companies in other industries that are moving to a more digital business model, You know, GE as they move to a more digital model. ADP, the payroll software company. So companies that are coming into software and trying to adopt the practices of software companies like customer success.
0: Yep. Now, churn is obviously critical in any size company. You actually have it yourself, but you also, this is what you help people manage as well. So if I'm going to ask anyone these questions, it's going to be you. So if you look at your past 12 months and you look at gross revenue churn, what has it been for you and how do you try and mitigate it?
1: Yeah, so we we don't report exact numbers, but we've had in the gross retention in the 90s, so very good gross retention. And uh, generally speaking, our customers have been willing to partner with us for a very long period of time, and that's been very consistent over the last you know four or five years. The reason I think that's happened is obviously with every business, it starts with your market and your product, right? You got to have the right market value prop and product, and obviously we iterate a lot on that. And then on top of that, we, of course, have our own customer success methodology. And by the way, we're not perfect. We just, like all of our customers, are constantly learning. One of the things we've tried to do is be more prescriptive with our customers. That's one I think I tell every CS person. It's not just about doing what your customers tell you to do. It's not be about being nice. It's about actually helping them get to where they need to be. So with Gainsight, we realize that we're the experts of customer success. We need to create a methodology on how you should use Gainsight what are the best practices? We turned that into a table. If you remember high school chemistry class, we're going to go back in time for a second. Remember the periodic table of elements? Yeah, you super-
0: you've got your 14 elements.
1: We've got our elements. so We built these elements of how to do customer success at world-class levels. And we basically put that and canonized that and that's really catapulted our customers forward to value much more quickly.
0: Of your 700 customers, how many of them pay for more than one of the 14?
1: So we don't charge based on elements. It's a very logical question. We actually sell the platform kind of as a platform. And then based on the number of users, more like you might buy Salesforce, the elements are just good ways to get value out of it.
0: Oh, so you don't upsell based off feature set then?
1: No, I mean, we have some advanced features now, but they're not really tied to elements. It's more like upselling for you know new modules and things like that.
0: Interesting. Okay. So what's your most effective upsell model? is it number of seats?
1: Yeah, it's seats, but it's really seats driven to use cases. So when people buy Gainsight, just like probably many products that are listing now, they buy it initially for their CSM team, but then the salespeople want to know what the CS team is doing. So we might buy sell seats to them or the product team wants to know, Hey, how do I make my product better? And by the way, that's a good segue. We also launched new products because we've now built a suite. We call the overall suite customer cloud. And the idea is we want to make every department customer centric. So we built a product it's all about helping product teams build more customer centric products. Sales teams sell a more customer centric way. So now we have different kind of products for different functions within the company.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. And then, so what about, we talked about Twilio earlier, any kind of utility based or consumption based upsell model or no?
1: Not today. No, it's really kind of basically users and also like the number of customers you're managing, but it's not a consumption based model today.
0: Okay, no consumption. Interesting. And then, okay, uh, talk to me about team. How many folks on the team today?
1: So we've got actually a similar number about coming up to 700 employees. Okay. It's very global. We really believe in kind of the distributed model. So folks all around the world, big team in, in India and a couple of different cities, folks all throughout the U S London and other places as well. And what is, I mean, how aggressive today,
0: right? You're staged and kind of company. How aggressive are you being to drive growth in terms of burn? I mean, you happy burning a million, two million a month or give me a general sense of where you're at.
1: Yeah, I think it's in that rough range that you just said. We are aggressive, probably not. You know, if you kind of plotted everyone, we're not at the extreme of aggressive, but we're not yet at break even, right? But I think it's all, as you know very well, it's all about just understanding where you're going to be growth wise, what that burn is, what's your customer lifetime value, and very specifically, you know, we want to get to the point where you know next couple of years when you look at us, you're probably familiar with the rule of forty, where yep. you take the growth rate minus the burn rate as a fraction of revenue. And a lot of the best companies have that metric be above forty. We're, you know, we would like to get to that point where we're if we're burning money, it's because we're growing super fast. And if we're not growing super fast, we're making money, right? And that's that's the ultimate balance everyone wants to get to.
0: And guys, it's not just the best companies. In fact, if you look at all the publicly traded SaaS companies, over eighty percent of the total market value is inside of companies with E forty or higher, less than twenty percent of the value is E forty or lower. So that is definitely a target as you look to IPO. Are you guys looking to IPO in the next couple, you know, call it two, three years?
1: Well, as you probably hear from all CEOs, IPO is not the goal. It's just the step of the journey. I will say it this way. As
0: he smiles.
1: It's the best job I've ever had. I don't want, to want it to ever end. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to keep going. And so the companies that want to keep going, often that, that ends up being a part of the journey. where We want to build a company for long-term.
0: Let me ask you a different question. I mean, what's your next, you know, typically people think about growth of companies in kind of stages, right? There's your first dollar of revenue, first 10, maybe 15, and then it's like 100. And then past that, you're like in Reggie kind of sphere with Cvent, where you're like, how do I get to a billion in ARR? Yeah, so for you, like, I mean, what's the next big uncomfortable goal? Is it 100 or 50 or what?
1: It's actually more about our strategy. So the big thing we're doing right now is going from one product to a suite of products. And people on the podcast, you maybe either have done that or you're thinking about that. I think it's a radical change for a company. Reggie and Cvent, who I know well, has done that a long time ago, and they really catapulted their company to growth. So we move from this one product for CS teams that most people know us for to this suite that we call customer cloud. I mentioned that we have a product for product people, for sales for salespeople, And that change is so systemic in a company. Because it changes the way you market, the way you sell, the way you do planning. How do you organize yourself? And we're just figuring it out now. So if people are listening and want to give me advice, I definitely would soak it up. (laughs) That's the big step function for a company now is moving to a multi-product company.
0: Well, and it seems like you're having success, right? So 700 customers at, you just said earlier, kind of, you know, people are caught 50,000 or north in terms of ACVs. That puts you north of 2.1 million bucks a month right now in revenue. Is that accurate?
1: Uh, Significantly, significantly higher than that. Our our average customer is spending well into the six figures. So, oh, so um, 50, yeah. so people
0: can't $50,000 a year is not, that's not an accurate figure.
1: 50,000 where you could start, but you have a bunch of people at 50 yeah. with lots of people spending millions of dollars, right? So you do the averages and yeah. Okay, f-
0: fair enough. So if that's if that's more like, a, we'll say north of 100 grand, 700 customers, six grand a month, that's north of call it 4 million a month in revenue or almost call it 50 million ARR. When do you think you hit 100 million? Can you do that next year? or You think you need more time?
1: We'll be there in that time frame.
0: Interesting. And so next question on that, right? Obviously you're managing burn, rate. Right? You mentioned Zach Lee, you mentioned Reggie. Why haven't you sold to Vista yet?
1: <laughs> well, I, I hear about the experiences, and actually, I will say Vista's tremendous. Like people, uh, private equity firms kind of get a bad rap, I think, but I think some of the progressive ones, like Vista, have done a great job of still allowing growth even inside the kind of private equity world. Vista actually is a great partner to Gainsight. A lot of private equity firms have gotten to the point where they realize a lot of the value in their portfolio is about getting customers to spend more money, right? So you think of a C-Vat, you think of it exactly, so much of the value Vista is going to get is getting that net retention rate up. So Vista has been a great partner to us in getting Gainsight into a lot of their portfolio. We have a lot of respect for the private equity firms in terms of, you know, who we partner with. We have amazing investors right now, you know, Battery, Bank Capital Ventures, Bessemer, Salesforce, Lightspeed, Insight, summit. And so we're very happy with our investors, but we have respect for all the PE firms out there.
0: Nick, but in this world, if you're not doing some kind of activity, whether it's a raise, a sale, a debt or something, every one or two, you call it 18 months, you know, something's probably happening now. Your last raise was with with Lightspeed, 52 million in 2017. So if I was a betting man, something is happening right now. Are, Are you mean, are you looking to raise capital right now? Are you, are you in acquisition talks with Vista or another private equity firm?
1: No, we are doing something right now, selling to our customers and serving our customers well and making our employees he's so success. good,
0: guys. I mean, he's so good. this is good. Nick, you got to get into you got to get into Pittsburgh politics here soon., yeah,
1: exactly. We talk about the Steelers that we can get real no, no. no but actually I generally mean that we really, really focused on making our business. So we want to just run this for the long term
0: of the fifty two in twenty seventeen was all that going to operations or was any of it secondary for early liquidity for early, you know employees?
1: Operations.
0: It was all operations. Okay, so then maybe, I mean, one thing at this stage I see CEOs do all the time is do call like a 60, 80, $100 million kind of raise where some of that's going to early, you know, employees who sacrifice comp for equity. Would you do Would yeah. you do something like that?
1: Yeah, I mean I think those kinds of things are the types of things you, you want to do to make sure people are incentive for the long term, being transparent. It's not something we're doing right now. Yeah. But those are the types of things I think companies do do to make sure you have the, the gas and the fuel tank, both for the company as well as for the employees. So I, I do respect companies that do that.
0: Last two kind of rapid fire questions and we'll wrap up growth rate past uh, 12 months, call it 30, 40, 50% or where will you generally fall?
1: Yeah. In the, in the higher end of that range. Okay. Anyway,
0: yeah. Fair yeah. enough. And then CAC. So to get a new hundred thousand dollar, your customer, how aggressive are you willing to be you happy with the 12 month payback or what?
1: Yeah. You know, I think an enterprise, it typically is like 12 to 18 months in that range. I think that's pretty common our customers, a lot of them are spending a lot of money. So it fluctuates kind of quarter to quarter, but that's the rough range. Great question, Nathan. You ask more questions than my mom does on my typical (laughs) check-in. If your mom asks all
0: these questions, I would hire her immediately to write for me on (laughs) SaaS.
1: My mom grills me about IPO, all kinds of stuff. So I love love her. She keeps me honest. That's so funny.
0: (laughs) No, no. I mean, look, I wish I had data like this when I was launching my first SaaS company. So I appreciate CEOs. We've had almost 2,000 now, more than 2,000. Come on and be so transparent like you were. So I appreciate it. No problem. All right. Wrap up here. Number one, what's your favorite business book?
1: Five Dysfunctions of a Team. That's an amazing book. If you haven't read it, I would encourage It's very quick. It's a parable about a, a management team and some challenges they run into. And you read it thinking, oh, this could be totally different than my company. And then you read it and you see little shades of your own company and the things you can work on. And obviously, the only other one I'd say is Customer Success, the book we wrote about the topic. Of course, that's my other favorite. What's the actual book title of your, your book? It's called Customer Success. And you can look it up on Amazon. It's actually become a bestseller on Amazon for business books. And yeah.
0: Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying?
1: I'll give you kind of two different ones, maybe at different altitudes. So Satya Nadella, obviously a legendary with what he's done with Microsoft. I've never met him, but from afar, I think the combination of the fact that he's driven the strategic change of Microsoft But also that people like really gravitate towards his leadership style. I've heard he's just such a humble person, very approachable. So definitely somebody I admire. And they just pick somebody that's maybe some folks might even know that I just really admire. And I've gotten to know, well, Jen Tejada, who just took pager duty public. She's amazing CEO, balances, caring about her team, but unbelievable execution focus. So those are two I'll pick.
0: Number three, Nick, what's your favorite online tool for building your company besides Gainsight?
1: Yeah, besides Gainsight, I'd say the one that like I thought about this question LinkedIn, it's so obvious, but I got to say it is just so universal. And of course, using it to look up people and all that, but specifically to get your message out there, if you haven't thought about that, if you're not doing more on LinkedIn for business folks, I just think it's, it's an amazingly powerful tool to connect with your customers and your audience.
0: Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night?
1: I am a huge believer in sleep. I believe all that research and all that. So I, as long as I can fall asleep, sometimes I, you know, toss and turn, like a lot of people but I target seven to eight hours a night.
0: That's good, and uh, how old are you? I'm 42 years old. 42, and situation, married, single
1: kids? Married for 19 years this year, high school sweetheart, and we have three kids.
0: Amazing, all right, take us back to your 20 year old self. What's something you wish you knew?
1: All right, a few things, apply for a job at Amazon or buy Amazon stock. (laughs) Those would be good decisions 10, 20 years ago. I think that, you know, you're always rushing to get things done, and it's interesting. There's an expression I love, which is the days are long, but the years are short. And it's interesting, like that kind of conundrum that like getting through everything feels like it's a slog. And then you realize like I'm 42. So, you know, 20 years went by pretty quickly post-college. And then the last one I'd say, and this is being really honest and we're big into vulnerability in our company. I'm personally, I'm, I'm the kind of person who's very constantly like, hey, are you achieving enough? Are you doing enough? Am I successful enough? I don't feel like I am. I haven't done as much as I should. And a friend just a few months ago who knows me very well gave me a little card, and it said, you are enough. It says, you are born enough. Nothing you can ever do, nothing you can ever accomplish will change who you truly are. And I think that idea that you are enough, and I think a lot of people struggle with that, am I enough? I still haven't totally figured it out, but I think that's what I try to tell myself every day.
0: Guys, there you have it. Gainsight helping you, SaaS companies and other companies, retain more of your customers, deliver more value. They're now serving over 700 customers. Contract size is all in the six figures, kind of low to mid six figures. So call it north of 50 million bucks in AR. He says next year they'll definitely hit or hopefully hit more than 100 million bucks in terms of ARs. They look to continue to scale with their team of 700 people, 10% gross annual churn. Again, that's max spending up to call it 12 to 18 months of lifetime value to get the customer in the first place call between one and 2 million bucks a month to do that with $155 million raised. Nick, thank you so much for taking us to the top.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Great talking to you. Thank you so much.